0: Welcome to Food Freedom
1: Radio. I'm Laura Headline, and I'm going to start this show with a question. Um, does it sometimes feel like the world is just so full of cascading negatives, um, epidemic of anxiety, depression, addictions, huge, huge inequities, homelessness, war, and despite increasing evidence of a runaway climate crisis, the sentence, the climate is always changing, uh, seems to be coming a mean, and let's not get electric cars, gets a rousing applause. So the fact is that we are in a climate crisis. And this, these facts are from Wired Magazine of August 17, 2023. There's more carbon dioxide in our atmosphere than in any time in human history, 419 parts per million. Pre-industrial levels are 278 per million, and a stable climate is around 350. Um, so since 1980, the climate has increased by 2 degrees Fahrenheit. Globally, we're likely to exceed the 1.5 Celsius, uh, degrees of Celsius of warming, um, and our remaining carbon pop- popul- uh, budget is very tiny. And so, countries like Germany, who thought they were going to be able to make it, they're coming out there saying we don't think we're going to make the goals that we were hoping we we're going to make a couple years ago. Um, and we know that there's been extreme heat events; they're becoming more frequent and more severe. Two thirds of extreme weather events in the past 20 years were influenced by humans. The number of floods and the instances of heavy rains have uh, went up four times since 1980. Sea levels are rising faster today than ever before. Arctic sea ice is rapidly diminishing. The world is getting hungrier and thirstier. For the first time in a decade, world hunger is increasing, and climate change is the big driver of all of this. Average wildlife population has dropped by 60% in just over 40 years. So these are during life. So there's all these cascading negatives, right? How do we meet these cascading negatives? We meet it with cascading positive. And so I had a fun story. I met someone who was promoting electric school buses. And she said when the school buses came out, they were, and she was a, a retired doctor, uh, they were healthier for the kids. They were cleaner. They were quieter. There was less stress. And there are fewer behavioral issues on those electric buses because they were calmer. Um, Edible Boulevards, the Minneapolis Edible Boulevards, they're offering a free cooking class. We'll talk more about that at the end of the show. But the free cooking class is on October 14th at 11 o'clock at Wait House or via Zoom. And it's with Derek Nelson. He's going to be talking about how to make corn sell it salad. So edible gardens. And, and sometimes things like school buses and growing food in the boulevard can seem so small against such daunting challenges. yet it is in the small things. Ask Frodo <laughs> or the author of Diet for a Small Planet that great cha- cha- challenges can be faced in our small actions. Um, on today's show, we're very pleased to have in studio with us Jim Doton and he is a climate, he's a carbon sequestration program manager for the city of Minneapolis. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio.
0: Oh, pleasure to be here. Great. And um, so uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, Well, I've been in the environmental field for going about 37 years. Uh, Primarily had been a geologist, practicing geologist. So I started out working in cleaning up uh, contaminated properties and trying to remediate soil and groundwater. So I did that for 20-some years. And the past 13, I've been with the city as an environmental regulator. And uh, for the past two years now, I've been the carbon sequestration program manager, uh, working to build a biochar production facility to uh, work on restoring the carbon budget in Minneapolis.
1: This is also exciting. I think we have to uh, welcome our other guest as Mia, which is Chad Larson, (laughs) the owner of AM950 Dog, is in the studio with us. And Jim is giving uh, Mia lots of attention at this time as well. So if anyone wants to watch on Facebook or LinkedIn, you can see (laughs) Mia because she's adorable. So,
0: okay, so what is biochar? A biochar is any uh, organic material that's uh, made, it's a fancy type of charcoal, but it's made from any organic material that's heated in an oxygen-low or oxygen-free environment in an enclosed container. And what it does is it converts that carbon in the biomass into a stable form. And so typically the temperatures for biochar production are between 350 degrees Celsius and 800 degrees Although uh, up to a thousand degrees or more for some of the products. but uh, the bi- type of biochar you make depends on the feedstock, the process you make it, and the uh, temperature.
1: So like all things, um, it's just complication is, is, a, is, a, is just part of all things. So biochar is also very complicated yep. um, in some ways. So but one of the great is it, are there also would you agree that there are cascading benefits towards to biochar?
0: Oh yes, for sure. And uh, one of the things is that uh, the feedstock is really important for its coming in. You can use organic waste such as agricultural waste. You can use biosolids. Uh, bio uh, they've done some with manures and, uh, or wood, and we use wood. And uh, the reason is is the chem- wood chemistry is really meanable to uh, transforming into a very stable form that also performs a lot of ecological services when you employ it in either in soil remediating, uh, helping plants grow, re- helping introducing uh, climate resilience, drought resilience, helping uh, increase crop yields, tr- make trees grow better, faster, clean up groundwater or stormwater, uh, increase infiltration to reduce flooding, and, uh, re- and it holds moisture, about up to 16 times as moisture. But one of the big things the, on the, with the wood is that for every ton of biochar we produce, it sequesters almost three tons of carbon dioxide as far as being able to be removed from the atmosphere and then stabilized into a form that can last for a thousand years or more and in the ground. And the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change says that if you don't do it for at least 100 years, you're spinning your wheels Uh, because it's temporary. What we really need to do is remove, lower those uh, concentrations of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere that you mentioned. And so uh, one of the things is that trees, everybody knows trees, they're great harvesters of carbon and they take it and convert it into wood. But what happens when the tree dies and goes back up into the atmosphere? So you're cycling, it. it's a great temporary storage facility, but it goes back out. What we're doing is not cutting down trees, But taking trees that have died or need to be trimmed, uh, taking the material, and transforming it into a stable carbon that's safe for the environment, safe for people, and uh, safely sequesters that carbon for a 1,000 years, and at the same time does amazing ecological benefits for the environment.
1: Okay, so... We're going to slow that down a little bit because I know it can seem kind of complicated, but but also I want to just show um, like it, it, what what can be done with this biochar is everything from fertilizers to um, making concrete and making asphalt and building materials. Yep. So the potential for these cascading benefits is really quite
0: enormous. And the, uh, the, for the most part, it's been known as a soil amendment, amendment to date, and uh, it's known as terra preta down in uh, Brazil. And that's a lot of the form that we started working with. For, I've been working with biochar for about 10 years at the city, but demonstrating its use in mainly urban agriculture, but getting into other applications on transportation corridors, urban forestry. And now, as you mentioned, in building materials, it can be used in concrete and in asphalt to reduce the carbon footprint. Of the, of the material. Plus, like I said, in the case of concrete, it can be actually increase the strength of the concrete, the performance and durability. And people don't realize how much of the greenhouse gas budget is related to concrete production. It's very messy, it lasts a long time, but it's pretty messy. And what we can do to reduce the embodied carbon is something that we have, see as a win-win for the future.
1: Yeah, reduce the embodied carbon. That's that's quite interesting because so the article in Popular Mechanics was talking about um coffee grounds. So coffee yep. grounds is a huge environmental problem. And so but they've been making biochar out of the coffee grounds and then adding that in concrete and building materials. And, and do I have that right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And you uh, coffee grounds is one of the materials and can you you can use other ones. And it increases the, the hydration of the concrete and cru- proves the strength and the, the structural strength. And you know, too much is a good of a good thing. Is too much, but uh, uh, really does uh, work to take a waste and turn it into a beneficial product. And, yeah. You know, it says, and really reducing the footprint of carbon is is of concrete is it. One of the other ways we're just getting into exploring those operate type of operations. Um, but also on transportation corridors, when you're building roadways, et cetera, including concrete, cetera, all that, is that what MnDOT is looking at, how do we reduce the carbon footprint of the, road tra- of the transportation network? So we're looking at it in ways for roadsides, for vegetation establishment, uh, helping to build carbon sinks along our, our, our green, cor- make, turn them into carbon sinks or long corridors. So those are some of the things that we're trying to work on.
1: Okay, so um how did you first learn about biochart?
0: Uh this is it, it, kind of a long story, but I'll make it short is that uh, I I was in the guard and uh, was called National up guard. National Guard and called up to Afghanistan. I was a hydrologist on an agribusiness development team in southern Afghanistan. And uh, as it turns out that uh, our grandmas didn't like going outside too much at the time, but uh, so I go out and on top of looking at the water, I look at the soil, and, and uh, the water wasn't the issue in this case. You, know, you had to manage water, but the soils were extremely depleted, and it really meant a difference towards the uh, uh, reducing the food insecurity of the of the villages. And what does that mean for the stability of of the uh, of southern Afghanistan? So I looked around and happened to find this thing called biochar. And so I was trying to establish a village-level program where they can make biochar use in the agricultural waste and try to wow. slowly restore the soils there and increase the productivity of their thing and their economic and food security, or reduce food insecurity is the best way to put it, so that they didn't have to rely on extremism to uh, get by or react, and so and try to improve the base life of there and the economic base so that the, the people can survive. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I came back to the city, um, they found out what I was doing there on top of bees. We all put bees on City Hall, and that's another project we worked mm-hmm. on in Afghanistan. But uh, in this case, um, we got some biochar, started experiment since demonstrating its use and showing how, how to use it, Around And it turned out that, yeah, we were one of the first cities in the United States to start working on this. That is
1: really exciting. We're going to take a break because also Minneapolis is one of seven cities in the world that's been uh, working on that. So we're going to learn more about that. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio. And in studio with us is the uh, Carbon Sequestration Program Manager for the City of Minneapolis, Jim Doughton. We'll take a break and we'll be right back.
0: When I was just a kid Mommy used to sing this song Now I'm prone to be a man
1: Benefits oh, be. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is Laura Hedlund. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio, and in studio with us is Jim Doten, as the uh, uh, carbon sequestration program manager for the city of
0: Minneapolis. Mm-hmm.
1: And before we want to break, um, so Minneapolis is one of seven sites that's working on biochar?
0: Yes. Uh, w- originally, so we were, I believe, that one of the first cities, if not the first city in the United States, that was working with biochar, demonstrating municipal uses. But is something that was relatively unknown. It's known around the world. But in the United States, it's mainly been on the West Coast and moving inland. But a technology that's been is being adopted in Europe and elsewhere, but the United States has been behind the times.
1: Right. And I, I mean, some people argue that this technology goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. I mean, people used to bury carbon to increase, make the soil richer, right?
0: Yep. And this is that's a good point, is that this is not a new technology. Yeah, but it's being rediscovered. And uh, like I said, the terra preta soils are over 2,000 years old and have been done. And now we find other cultures in, in Asia and in Africa that have used this technology. And the Native Americans here used it in a different, you know, slightly different form. But this is how they return carbon to the soil. And they found that it improves fertility. So,
1: so being humble to nature and, uh, you know, working with nature and understanding. Um,
0: the yeah. cycles
1: of carbon.
0: No, exactly. And what we've, just like with forest fires, we've been trying to suppress the fuel and actually made it worse mm-hmm. uh, or uh, suppress the fires. And so we've made it worse and taken a look hint from nature, how nature cycles work. And it used to be thought that charcoal or the, those carbon was just a lump in the ground. It didn't do much. But it turns out it's really the battery that provides the electricity or the energy for the soil to function. Right, it's hard for me to get my brain around it. It is it, it and, you know, and
1: and I know I was listening to kind of a complex one from a soil scientist and it's like it's very complex. So there can be biochar that's very great and that works very uh, efficiently in some areas and there's some biochars that might not work as efficiently in other areas. So
0: Yep, there's different like I said mentioned there's different types with uh, biosolids or agricultural waste, green waste or the wood. And for us the woody waste is what we use. And uh, it provide to the, our experiences provides the best, most stable uh, biochar with the ecological benefits that are suitable for what we're looking for in our temp, our climate and our temperature or our soil conditions. And it really does vary quite a bit, and you have to know where you're putting it, how you're applying it. And these are things that we're getting beyond the trial and error, and really trying to come up with prescriptions or directions on how to use this and how work where it would be effective where you're not going to see an effect uh, but what are you trying to do and when i started this the the i was told to keep the focus on ecological benefits and we worked a lot with uh, community groups inside what we call now our green zones where uh, we've had historical environmental justice issues Uh, so dealing with the bipoc community et cetera, and helping them build their own food sovereignty we had, uh, developed up a memorandum of understanding with the Shakopee Metowaket and Sioux community down in Shakopee, and uh, they have the, had the state's largest uh, compost facility down there. And so we, in agreement with them, to provide the biochar. They provide the compost, and we worked with community groups throughout Minneapolis in order to help uh, improve their uh, uh, community gardens, and particularly for select groups, that, you know, to help with. Uh, uh, we worked at a lot of work with the urban Indian community, and others. Trying to focus it, our, our work on those where it's most needed, and that you was know, part of the work and in the health department. And now we've demonstrated that well. And uh, the, the focus now is a lot more focus on climate change. But it, with my uh, trademark and my usual new presentation, I have a slide of a Twix bar, left and right twi- Twix. One side's climate benefits; the other side's ecological. You can't tell the difference. There's, it comes in the same package. Mm-hmm. So this is, uh, you, you can't, I think we need to talk about both, is what it does for the environment, it's a positive thing. Uh, one of the, the the perceptions is, well, this might be hazardous. And we're working with the University of Minnesota, the Natural Resource Research Institute up at the uh, University of Minnesota Duluth campus to make sure that what we're doing is safe and effective. It's, you know, the, that is beneficial and to demonstrate what those benefits are and to, and to show that we aren't having a deleterious effect. We're not introducing contaminants, right. et cetera. So making sure that it's a safe for this. And you had mentioned earlier, when we before the show, uh, we formed recently formed Minnesota Biochar Initiative.
1: Minnesota Biochar Initiative.
0: Yep, and okay. it's just brand new organization. Yay. but, but uh, what we're trying to do is get the groups together so that we, when biochar comes out, we don't have an uncontrolled situation where we have unsafe practices. And it's just kind of a a lawless environment. We want to make sure that it goes out, that we have a a standard that we work by, testing the biochar, making sure that the right biochar goes in in the right applications where it needs to be. And we're working with uh, uh, university-level researchers and USDA and other officials to make sure we do it right. And then now we're just, just got a, a added a member with the Forest Service on this as well. So we're looking at all sorts of applications, natural resource management. Uh, and then we're getting into starting to crack that open about looking at construction materials and other effects so we can build those those carbon cascades in within and to reduce embodied carbon, but also building carbon sinks. Um, we're one of the 77's around the world that won a grant from Bloomberg Philanthropies. There's over 200 cities that applied. We were one of seven, and that's largely because of the work we were doing earlier with demonstrating biochar.
1: Okay, so I'm gonna. That, that's such a nice honor, uh, you know, out of 200 cities apply, we were one of seven seven cities that got it. Yep. And it was actually because of biochar.
0: Yeah. Yep. And this, what this is, is to actually produce. Uh, they had done one award in Sweden with Stockholm, and it happens to be when they were first starting. It was right first when I was looking at biochar, and uh, um, around 2013. Um, but, uh, they, so Stockholm won it and it won the know, Mayor's Award, got the money, they got it going. And from there, they're looking to replicate this around the world with uh, other cities. And so Helsinki, uh, Minneapolis, Let's um, so there's another city well, uh, in Hel- Sweden and Norway and Germany and, and uh, England. Not England, England didn't win, Birmingham was looking at it. Uh, and then in the U.S., it's ourselves, Cincinnati and Lincoln. And uh, the three of us in the cities in the U.S. have been working together on this. But from here, what we're trying to do, this is really getting to be expanded. We just held the first Minnesota Biochar Summit at the University of Minnesota in May and had over 100 participants. And if I had done this 10 years ago, we could have fit in a broom closet. So the interest is really growing. It's everything from grassroots. We've got citizens who are active and reading about it. And moving forward is all the way up through state agencies, different county government, uh, state government, federal government, um, going out to the Department of Energy in Washington in November to help uh, with a work group that's set in trying to look at how to expand this, scale it, produce it, and what impact would we have on removing carbon. So it's really getting its stride. Yeah. So it's great to see that that it's being adopted.
1: I'm kind of wondering about you personally right now because, again, you stumbled on this when you were in Afghanistan um, trying to find ways to make a sustainable food system or support a sustainable food system. Yep. And then, and then it's a really remote idea. And now it's a uh, hundred people are showing up to the biochar initiative, and um, a lot of government agencies are working collaboratively on this. Yep. So um, we're going to need to take a break, and when we're going to come back. We're going to understand what is the nitty gritty. So what? Are, what? Are, how are you making biochar? Um, what is it used for? What's the potential? And how can we help support? This, um, movement towards making biochar in our asphalt and in our concrete and maybe in our dog toys. <laughs> no, maybe not the dog toys. I don't know if they should be dog toys. That's their dog in the background because you can't hear can it. You? Anyhow, um, you're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota.
0: Satisfy my soul, babe.
1: Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and we've all heard a lot about all the cascading negatives. What about some cascading benefits? And one big cascading benefit is biochard. Biochard can actually remove carbon from the atmosphere, and provide sustainable products for things. What we're now using asphalt and cement. It's it's a bio, so and, and with us to talk all things biochar is uh, Jim Doton. And again, Jim, if someone's just tuning in right now and has never heard that expression biochar, what is it?
0: I think biochar. He says an inorganic material that's heated in a low oxygen environment uh, in a sealed container. And you heat it up and drive off those gases instead of a flame. Uh, you drive off those gases, use that to drive the process. So instead of turning it into ash and carbon dioxide, what you end up doing is taking about half that carbon and converting it into a stable form that can last for hundreds to thousands of years.
1: Okay, so it's keeping the, that carbon in that stable form for hundreds yep. of thousand of years. Does it take a lot of energy to turn um for the biocharter no, can it actually it, even make energy
0: it's actually yeah it's carbon negative and that means that it actually uh takes out more or it sequesters more carbon than it uses to make it so you're you're using the fuel itself the wood itself you heat it the gases come off and you use that to drive the process after you get kick started, and so it drives itself and uh, what you can do one thing you have is a lot of waste heat and what we're trying to do is figure out how do we not use, uh, waste that waste heat and use it for the heating buildings, generating electricity. And some of the processes can actually make syngas. They're looking at, uh, uh, let's, let's say, you know, a natural gas substitute or hydrogen. And one of the other processes will make a bio-oil. Uh, but our the, the process we use, which is called slow pyrolysis, and it's a continuous process. It's always re- wrote through a rotating drum, and uh, what we're trying to figure out is what how do we use that waste heat. From there, and that's one of the the questions we had. Our original purpose was to hook up to an aquifer thermal energy storage system. Aqua kinda,
1: thermal energy storage yeah, it's, system? Yeah, uh, that sounds fun. Aqua <laughs> thermal energy, energy storage, storage system. system. I actually haven't heard of that before.
0: Yeah, it's and it's big in the Netherlands, and they were trying to do it here. That part of the project didn't fo- follow through. That was their original yeah. proposal things change it's you know, hard it's, it's hard, hard to
1: be innovative
0: Yep, and so now we're 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 talking to south know, center point xl energy and other places to see how could we use this you know to reduce fossil fuel use
1: Okay, so what is currently in 2023 happening in the city of Minneapolis when it comes to bile You're taking the uh, tree limbs and other waste yep. woods. You're not cutting down trees on purpose for no. this. Um, <laughs> but you're taking – what would have happened to those trees and what is now happening?
0: What would have happened to most of those trees is uh, – You've heard of the emerald ash borer coming through. Right. It's Unfortunately, really, we'll yeah, have several
1: trees to it ourselves.
0: And it's really taken out, uh, thrown the waste management, wood waste management system in the Twin Cities metro across the state out of, out, way out of sync because you we don't have the capacity to handle all that waste wood. So what's going to happen? They're going to put it in big piles and burn it. Direct injection. Uh, direct
1: injection. So that, that adds carbon to the atmosphere yeah, yeah. and waste wood.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's just it is that. It takes effort. We have to pay
1: for that. And, you know.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. And the, the, that's not know, the way nature f- would work, f- is it? Yeah, the that's... fossil fuel inputs to move it and chop it. and But right now, a lot of that goes to the St. Paul District Energy System and is burned and used for steam and electrical generation. Um, but even they, that's exceeding the capacity for them to use. There's some that's composted, some that's used otherwise. Uh, the University of Minnesota did a study on this. And between burning for energy, composting... Um, or mulching, and uh, our biochar. Biochar is by far the uh, most climate-friendly aspect of it. It has actually negative carbon. It, it removes carbon from the atmosphere because we're taking wood that the wood has uh, stored, or the trees store carbon, but they release it. It's a temporary storage for the life of the tree. Then it goes back up 97%. will go back up in the atmosphere. What we're doing is interfering that, harvesting that carbon, and the what's called the lignin, one of the components of that, is that's very stable. We changed the the form of it into a stable form that re- resistant to decay. It's recalcitrant, and that's why it doesn't break down. But it it we thought it would just lay there, but it turns out it interacts with the soil, uh, really improves soil microbial systems, uh, improves the soil you know the food web in the soil. So you see increases in plant plant growth. Uh, increases in crop yields, trees become uh, you know stronger, uh, survivability is better, they thrive better, and you'll see additional carbon formed in the soil because of the the microbial system, the mycorrhizal fungi, etc. And now we're also looking at it; uh, uh, it increases infiltration of groundwater or stormwater, so instead of running off, going into the streets and into the right into the river. We're trying to keep it in the rooting zone available for the plants so that the plants can take it up, build additional mass. Uh, and also, uh, as they breathe, transpire, it they redu- comes mist out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that actually cools and helps reduce the urban heat island effect.
1: And that, yeah. that's, again, cascading benefits. Yep. So um, how much... Uh, biochar is the city able to produce and do you have a biochar factory <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. we're in the process right now developing up I hope to be in operation by spring you know, Okay. We're keeping our fingers crossed on this because there's always a, anytime you do a major project there's a lot of flaming hoops to jump through and there seems to get through one so well, one lights another one <laughs> and you start
1: hearing about this and it's so much common sense it's like yay but uh, but what are some of the obstacles I mean how expensive is these are it's, these facilities it's,
0: it's expensive to do this Um, we're doing a medium-sized slow paralysis unit that's continuous, and you know rotary kiln and all this. And right now, I'm working on the air permitting. We're unlikely to need an air permit, but we're making sure that we're going through it, all the all the thing. The pollution control agency reviews it and make sure we're good. Um, so we're looking at the the negatives as well, and then we're going to have a life cycle assessment to take a look and see you know show that demonstrate that even with handling the wood, et cetera that were carbon negative and how much is that? Mm-hmm. And one of the things we're hoping to do is to, uh, we're going to donate uh, biochar to community groups within those green zones to help meet their climate goals. It's in our climate action, pl- a climate equity plan that was recently passed uh, to pr- you know, use biochar in our green spaces to help up develop climate or carbon sinks and deal with uh, uh, the aspects of climate, try to mitigate the, the effects of climate change. And also um, looking at, uh, we, we're working with the counties, various counties, cities, state agencies, et cetera, to use biochar in other municipal projects, whether it's in urban forestry, uh, lands, uh, landscaping, um, transportation corridors, et cetera, and the sales of those that biochar, as well as they have now have carbon credits, then this is eligible for developing carbon credits for sale in the voluntary market. And what we're trying to do is make this a, a revenue-neutral operation, so it doesn't cost the taxpayer anything. But uh, this, but we get the continued budget. We can either put this back into our own carbon budget, or you know, make them available for others. Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, because one of the big barriers to biochard is the uh, getting the local biochard production going. Yep. So can you give us any sense and you know? So you said medium size. Are there any like yep. home versions of this? Well, you or? can, and that's <laughs> that's one of the things we're
0: looking at with the Minnesota Biochar Initiative. Is uh, we've got Dakota County, uh, Great River Greening, and some other ones are using a thing called the Oregon uh, Fire Ring, and uh, it's, it's mainly for buckthorn. Which is a major problem, and it's it's a big kiln, and you, but it's like a big fire pit type of thing, but it burns from the top down. It's you know, it doesn't you don't have smoke, and it just kind of you end up with one type of biochar, and then they distribute it in the forest where they got it from. So there are t- some small scales operations you can do. You can do they got one guy in on the MNBI that's doing his backyard, um, with a, you know to experiment with different type of kilns. Yeah, you got a
1: bunch of buckthorn. You can just throw yep. the buckthorn in there and. Um, and then, I mean, even because um, it's very expensive, I mean, yeah. I, with those ash bars, I mean, I, a lot of people are like, oh, now it costs me all this money to have yeah. this tree. And like you say, the truck come and take but if there is some, you know, yes, just bring me, like some yeah. people are using goats to take care oh, of Buckthorn, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. <laughs> Can you just bring me your little biochart thing and leave it here for a well, while? Or, I mean, am I being too fantasy?
0: <laughs> we were trying to get a put in a grant application to buy a couple, of, through the MNBI, to buy a couple of those type of rings. To make them available for the public for this, you know, transportable, et cetera. And we're working with uh, uh, Dakota County and Great River Greening on how, to, how does it work outside of a field day, you know, hopefully in the future to be able to do that. Uh, from all the way from small scale to industrial scale. And we're right in the middle. Uh, we'll be looking at producing about 200 pounds of biochar an hour. Um, that is about, you, you figure about, uh, anyways, about probably about 30% of the, the tree when it comes in. Green weight, you know, green tree, will be coming out as biochar. You have to remove the water and stabilize the carbon, dry it out, because wood's got wet wood's got a lot of water. But uh, our unit, like I said, it's uh, what we're using. We did a study. Let me get back up. We did a study with uh, Carbon Neutral Cities Alliance, and that was a, a carbon negative work group we set up between the City of Boulder, Minneapolis, Helsinki, and Stockholm. In taking a look at biochar and what would it take to set up a biochar operation, what's the feedstock like? What's the conditions in here? How what you know what what type of scale would we have to do it at? And those after looking at that part of the, the thing, we had that integrated into our Bloomberg proposal. Uh, what we have is uh, we're working on an agreement with XL Energy that they're taking their line maintenance waste and uh, bringing it to you know chipped wood to us to process into biochar and then using that. So we're actually reducing the carbon footprint from them because rather than going all the way over to St. Paul, uh, the, the, they're going half the way, dropping it off and going back home. So there's less transportation costs.
1: So in right now, especially with the um, uh, ash borer, there's a lot of waste wood, but biochard can be used um, for all sorts of different things, like the yep. coffee grounds. We're using the coffee grounds as something because, yep. I mean— uh, Right now, that goes in the waste, and that causes more problems, and it, it increases the uh, cascading negatives of climate change or climate instability. Even
0: yep, the coffee grounds are one. Uh, brewers yeast from the micro you know from the breweries that's another issue. Uh, we've got you know a lot, there's a lot of waste streams out there that can be turned into this.
1: Yeah, I had a really good show with uh, uh, Sue Marshall from Net Zero, and uh, she shared that because California is now um, um, going to make it not, uh, make all food waste a thing of the past by saying you can't throw organic waste (laughs) in the garbage. It has to be reused. And so it really is, again, a cascading benefit, opening up all these entrepreneurial type things. Um, uh, so, I know we're missing a lot of applications. So, one of the applications is this can be used for like cleaning water or?
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, we mentioned before, we're using what's called slow pyrolysis. There's hot, fast pyrolysis. There's gasification. But the, for us, it produces a good biochar that's used for, you know, the kind of the uh, jack of all you know, trades type of biochar, using all sorts of applications. I wouldn't say in ja- uh, gasification, it's much higher temperature different char that you get out of it and they're looking more for energy biochar is a side product we're making biochar and have energy as a side product uh but there the the char that it is it's high temperature it's used for different things but one of the things that can't be used for it that's better than in the soil is that it, it can be used for things like removing PFAS, uh pesticides Ooh. uh those type of things from from what you know water uh right now the uh, there's uh, trying to, the, on Weber Creek, or Weber, Weber Parkway in Shingle Creek, they're, they're using it to, uh, um, There's a, they have an iron sand filter that was designed with between the agreement between Stantec and the University of Minnesota in the watershed. And the, what they're doing is filtering water through there and they have iron sand filter to remove phosphorus. But the big problem is E. coli in the, in the waste stream. That's uh, exceeding the limits. So they're putting biochar in with that, and they're seeing that, that the, the biochar is removing the E. coli from the water. So we're able to meet standards after the, the surface water standards after going through. Uh, we are looking at it working with NRI up in Duluth, Natural Resource Research Institute. Uh, they've been doing some great work and they're looking at things, like how to, to work on the characterizations of biochars, different type of biochars, and how well they work at removing things, whether it's heavy metals, whether it's chlorinated solvents. Yeah. Uh, Pfas, it's whatever.
1: So fascinating. So you're listening to Food Freedom Radio. We're going to take a break. Uh, we'll be right back with Jim Doughton from the City of Minneapolis, the carbon sequestration program manager. Yes, we can reduce carbon and have a new form of asphalt and new forms of or additions to asphalt and and um, and cement and and then use this as a fertilizer. It's all about. Um, cascading um, benefits and yep. positives and and creating that sustainable world that our children deserve yeah. we'll be right back Let me tell you what I
0: know, what I-
1: Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and with us is Jim uh, Dolan. He's uh, the Carbon Sequestration Manager, Program Manager, for the City of Minneapolis. Um, All things biochart, and you wanted to make sure you, uh, we talked about this watershed effort.
0: Yeah, um, one of the things, kind of exciting things to see as it's getting traction and and really becoming known, uh, widely known, is that recently, this this last spring, I was able to go out to uh, Chesapeake Bay Watershed. Um, out in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and uh, to talk about biochar, their Scientific Technical Advisory Committee was looking at it. And as a result, and this is covering 63,000 square miles, five states, and trying to clean up the Chesapeake Bay watershed. So it's it's, a pretty big populated area. And uh, as a result, now they've adopted biochar, and they're looking at rapidly scaling it up and using it in stormwater applications to control what goes into the uh, Chesapeake Bay watershed. In this case, they're really looking at nitrogen or nitrates that are coming up. They're coming in. They have a problem with that.
1: So this is a way to clean up nitrates and sequester carbon at the same time.
0: Yep. And uh, they're using the wood biochar like we're uh, referring to, so it's kind of neat. We talk about a lot of different aspects, and I was out there to talk about the wood-based biochar, and that's what they decided to adopt. Um, they're coming on out. In fact, Chuck Hedberg from... The uh, Chesapeake Bay Watershed, will be giving a presentation on it. We have monthly char talks. Uh, so in December, uh, Chuck has agreed to talk about the Chesapeake Bay Watershed. But at the same conference there, the workshop is able to hook up and help. We're working with the city of Baltimore in developing their own biochar program You're using the same techniques. And it turns out New York City is using it as well. They're working with Cornell University on uh, looking at biochar applications.
1: And I'd love to hear the the, per, the personal side because this sounds yeah. kind of fun to actually be involved in grassroots solutions and solutions that are based on the wisdom of nature.
0: No, it's been it's been fantastic. And like I said, I was uh, had no idea about biochar when I went to Afghanistan, and I was working on the water as a hydrologist and trying to work in a desert a desert environment, which is always fun. But, uh, like I said, taking a look at the soils, the root causes of what's going on here, and uh, the water wasn't the issue. So how do we actually address and move the meter in a positive way? And that's why I started doing research and found out about the biochar back when it was, like I said, it's it's been around for 2,000 years. But when the interest is really starting to percolate and papers starting to be written, et cetera, at the time there was about 300 papers written. Now there's over 30,000.
1: That's, I mean, it is it is very hopeful. Um, and you're also, um, the plan is to use the biochart on the Minnesota Minneapolis Edible Boulevards.
0: Yeah, uh, that's one of the uh, community groups we've we been talking to with Michelle over there. Michelle Shaw. And uh, Michelle Shaw. And uh, what we're trying to get through is one of the problems they have is they don't own a lot of space. <laughs> the boulevard is pretty small. So where do we drop it off? So we're working with Michelle's group right now, the, the Edible uh, Boulevards, to find a place where we can bring them biochar for use at, Different different places, and one of the things we're working with is part of the agreement with the shock if you made a walk in the Sioux is how do we mix that with compost to provide that compost and biochar for that group and it's a synergistic effect that gardeners we're...
1: know you need those soil amendments and they can be very pricey oh, yeah. I mean they can be that you can spend a lot of money on that um, I also want to do a shout out because the uh, Minneapolis edible uh, Minneapolis edible boulevards is offering a free class uh, with uh, 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 with Derek um, and it's let's make a corn salad in time for fall that's at the weight house um, it's on October 14th Eleven to noon, um, in person or on Facebook, and you can get more information by going to Minneapolis Edible Boulevards. I think Facebook might be the best way to reach out to them. Yeah. But so, um, but the other thing that we haven't really talked that much about is the biochar and the use of fertilizers. I mean, apparently, you know, the world was in a crisis with the Ukrainian situation with how right. fertilizers are produced, and we know that fertilizing. Um, is really bad for climate stability. So you know, having um, and it's complicated. I don't want to oversimplify it, um, but biochar can be a wonderful solution when used appropriately in the appropriate soil conditions.
0: And it's kind of interesting on that one is that with the fertilizer, it's not a fertilizer in itself, but it makes fertilizer work better by helping cycle the cycle the nutrients properly, so you can reduce your fertilizer requirements. And uh, particularly with nitrogen, nitrates and reactive nitrogen, excess reactive nitrogen has been a big problem getting into groundwater, surface waters, causing eutrophication, et cetera. But uh, what we're doing is we can reduce the nitrate use because it takes the nitrogen there, keeps it available for the plant longer. So the nitrogen in the fertilizer is actually used instead of going through and dissolving into the groundwater and also, nitrous oxides form, form during the nitrification, denitrification. Those are far more powerful than carbon dioxide as a greenhouse gas. So we can so reduce that the um, soil emissions from. So like I guess.
1: one of the recipes I saw online. And so I don't know if this is a good recipe or not. But you take some biochar, you take some manure, you take some pig urine, and then some topsoil. And you mix it up, and you let that sit for a while. And voila, you've got some really oh, good yeah. fertilizers, yeah. basically. The, the urine. It's not that
0: complicated. Uh, uh, absorbs the n- nitrogen from the urine. Uh, the urea keeps it available for the plants instead of breaking down uh phosphorus it uh, actually in the soil it does you said it doesn't manage phosphorus as well but what it does is for for whatever reason found out that if you don't add it what it ends up doing the plants end up using nitrogen or phosphorus more efficiently and with the use of biochar and so necessarily that it holds it and it does a transaction but you'll see the increased use of uh, improved performance of phosphorus. So you don't need as much. And that's the other thing is reducing nitrogen requirements by 50% in applications like corn that require a lot of nitrogen.
1: So uh, Jim uh, Dolan, uh, carbon sequestration program manager for the city of Minneapolis and active in the biochar initiative, the Minnesota biochart initiative. Yep. Well, and down our last minute, anything else you like to say?
0: No, no, it's been uh, uh, fantastic working with this effort, and I appreciate you talking about it. It uh, Used to be before, oh my gosh, here comes Jim with the biochar. Now <laughs> people are going, oh, bring him over, let's talk <laughs> to him. <them." laughs> well,
1: you know, and I was like, did I see you show up to the meeting? I was like, twenty. What about biochar? It's like I was like, what's
0: biochart? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah, yeah. laughs>
1: but it's you know, it's it makes so much sense, doesn't it? I mean, yep. and it, it again, it's listening to the wisdom of the natural systems.
0: And we are the uh, becoming one of the nation's leaders and a global leader in Minneapolis. On demonstrating how to do this and be, you know, forward in our carbon fight.
1: Forward in the carbon fight, a stable climate. Yep. Cascading benefits, nice clean electric buses, food on the urban boulevards. (laughs) Yeah. Smile. Keep your love luck burning. Uh, Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Food Freedom Radio.